1: So, gents, what I want to do to kick things off is ask you for a bold prediction because it seems to me that this season is impossible to predict. We're ripping up the form book. So, come on, then. What's going to happen?
2: All right, then. What about this? Haas are going to score a point.
3: Oh, I'm with you on oh, that. Yeah. The Haas is really strong. It looks really good. You know, they've been developing this car longer than anyone else, haven't they? They get, completely gave up on last year. And it did look really good on track in Bahrain and Barcelona, actually.
1: Let's, say, let's go even further. Magnussen's going to get on the podium. Oh, my
2: God. That would be incredible. Or oh. oh, Mick.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I like the fact that, you know, Magnussen had completely written off his chances of coming back to the sport but within a year, he's on the podium.
3: Isn't it? It was just such a great story. and Fairy tale. He had, I mean, the biggest smile throughout all three days at the Barone test. He was so thrilled to be back. Everyone was just pleased to see Kev. And then he goes and puts it fast. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> you know, the first time he drives the car, <laughs> just gold. But um, I think Ferrari have won the Winter World Championship, haven't they? Again. Yeah. Again. If what we've seen uh, in testing is a true reflection of pace, Carlos Sainz for world champion. That's my prediction.
1: That is bold.
3: Come on then. Raise me on that one. One of you.
2: Um, uh, uh, Charles Leclerc. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? I mean, let's go for a Ferrari world championship either way. A battle for the championship between the two Ferrari drivers. Is what we're saying. They've been really strong. This is a F1 Nation prediction for the season. Bold prediction. is It's going to be between the Ferrari drivers.
1: Wow, that is bold. And on that note, let's prance into F1 Nation's 2022 preview. A season in which anything is possible.
4: The fireworks are going off around the bar in international circuit. It's a top three. But you might not have expected. I'm I'm us. the line away. There we are Sebastian Rebel comes home to finish third, and what a start to the season this has been. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Across the line goes George Russell. Is a Williams driver. Max Verstappen, yes, point scoring finish for half F1. Congratulations to them. let go! yeah. yeah. the, the British Grand Prix. Yes yes, 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 The two Alpines side by side. Both their drivers on the podium. Yuki Sonoda, a Japanese driver, will stand on Gas. After race after race. Verstappen and Hamilton is the battle. Race after, race after race, race, race. Race, after race. race after race. Lewis Hamilton wins the Canadian Grand Prix. Here in Singapore, Max Verstappen takes victory. It on And it's high fives all round the Mercedes for a job well done. We've been waiting for this all season long. The title designer, the finale. Under the lights here in Abu Dhabi, it's lights out.
1: Well, what a season that would be. It's like we've been teleported to a year's time and reflecting back on a truly bonkers season.
2: Ah, oh, Yuki Tsunoda on the podium at Suzuka. That would be good, wouldn't it? They would go mad. But I mean, it, it's, uh, it was a year ago we lost Murray. Murray was famous for saying in F1, anything can happen and probably will. So, you never know. You never know. Well,
3: look, in this episode, we're going to talk about the big battles we're looking forward to in 2022 and who we think will be fighting for victory in the season opening Bahrain Grand Prix this week. And of course, Damon's got your questions to answer in Ask Damon. But first, I've just got back from three days of preseason testing in Bahrain. And my main takeaway is that we know nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I could have told you that a month ago. We do, we do, yeah. we
2: do. We know, we know something. We know, we know Red Bull are good. That car looked good, didn't yeah, they?
1: Yeah, well, they certainly came strong towards the end of the Bahrain test, didn't they?
2: We know that McLaren have got some issues, which they didn't have in Barcelona. They are in the punt, they're looking competitive. We know Mercedes also have some issues they can't fix, but these things can be fixed really with this ground effects car. And the porpoising nonsense, you know. I mean, did you listen to the sound? It's awful when you listen to the onboard of the guy going down the straight. It's like someone's—it's got a very bad um, phone line connection or something to the microphone, but it's actually the car scraping on the ground. So they've all got this bouncing and scraping thing going on. And but you know, if you—it looks like Red Bull have fixed that. And they've got a nice smooth running car and they've optimized it. So, some the others will find out how to do that. And then the form can change completely on its head.
1: Mm, and that's what testing's all about.
2: Bahrain's a very good test track because it's abrasive. So, you get tired egg. You know, you've got places we have to put the power down out of slow corners. You've got some fast corners, undulations, and it's hot. I was surprised at the. I mean, this cooling thing is going to be really interesting because Mercedes have got some very new revolutionary kind of way of cooling the, using the intercooler which they've stolen off a well they they borrowed or bought or something off of a, a company that makes rockets so they're able to reduce the size of their radiator. so they've got these very very thin radiator technology so but i was i was looking at them and they were actually taping up the, the radiator exits when you think about how hot it is in
1: bahrain that's
2: that's quite incredible that they're actually taping up the radiator exit
3: Let's talk about the season ahead then with the help of Formula One experts from around the world.
1: Well, given that we've kicked off with Red Bull, uh, let's talk Max Verstappen, the reigning world champion. He has the number one on his car, of course, and a new long-term Red Bull contract in his pocket. Jack Ploy from Grand Prix Radio in Holland thinks that Max is in a really good place right now and can certainly successfully defend his title.
5: That's what Max is all about. He wants to achieve the goal and do it again with a new car so it makes it more interesting for him as well and the team but he wants to continue it and I think he also feels well because of the continuing of his uh, relationship with Red Bull Racing he wants to give the team I think the constructors title as well the pressure is a little bit off but maybe 1% it was 110 and now it's 100 because I see him smiling I, he's relaxed and the tension was more last year because he wanted it and now he has it but I think it's good for everybody, good for the team, good for him. That gives him yeah, the opportunity to continue on that level, what he wants. He wants to win races, and that's what he is from his childhood. If you win enough races in the championship, you're world champion.
1: Uh, a great Formula One mind, not so good at maths. Just 1% off, it went from 110 to 100. Oh, right, <laughs> well
2: spotted.
3: I'd be feeling pretty relaxed if i just signed a, a five-year deal worth 40 mil a year. But Damon, how did you feel going into 1997 after you'd won the World Championship? How is that side of, let's look at it just from a mental point of view for Max, you know, Jack says there that he's more relaxed, but does it actually somehow make you a better driver, being more relaxed, having won the title, you've achieved your ultimate aim? Well, I was very relaxed
2: because I I didn't have a chance at going at the World Championship because I was in an Arrow's. So I won the championship and then I had to move to a, a team at the back of the grid because that was all the scraps that were left by the time I was told I hadn't got a job for next year. So I didn't have the luxury of following through into another championship, but it must help that you've got one in the bag like Jack was saying. Jack's identified it exactly. The the breakthrough is winning a championship. You're now a world champion You can now carry on with doing what royal champions do. Nothing is ever going to change that.
1: Yeah, that gives you an innate confidence. No one can ever take the title away. I I mean, I know it came under controversial circumstances right at the end, but it would have given him such a boost going into the winter and then ultimately into 2022.
2: And if, say for example, Red Bull have got it right and they have a run of success like they did with uh, Sebastian Vettel, He's got one world championship. Let's say he wins another three. He's got four world championships. He's halfway by the before he's twenty eight to equaling potentially um, Lewis Hamilton and, and Michael Schumacher. Or if Lewis gets his eighth, you know, he's, 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 he's on track. You know, he's on track for this ridiculously long career, uh, winning many, many world championships. So, Max fastest on the final
3: evening. He set uh, the fastest time of the test in the last hour. For those of you who like numbers, 131.7 was his time. 2.8 seconds slower than the fastest time that. He set as well, this time last year going into 2021. So these cars are a little bit slower, but such is the rate of development. Everyone is thinking that we are going to equal uh, the lap times of last year's cars, particularly at the faster, more flowing tracks like Barcelona. But yeah, Red Bull looking really strong. They're able to equal anything Mercedes do from a from a from um, an upgrade point of view. I think if
2: I were Max Verstappen,
3: I would be feeling... Very happy about my chances.
2: Tom, you mentioned something about, particularly at the faster tracks, because what seems to be coming out of the analysis from the last couple of tests is how these cars are very good in the fast corners, but a little bit more cumbersome. They are a lot heavier, getting on for, was it 800 kilos or something? Yeah, and they're 40 kilos heavier than last year. Yeah, um, but they're also they're, they're, they're more cumbersome, let's say, in the slower They've got longer braking distances and in the slower corners. So from track to track, you're going to get a difference of how these cars behave. But the pointers are that it's going to be more exciting to race them from the point of view of, you know, you have to brake earlier and then the cars get a little bit more of a handful as you get into tighter corners.
1: On to Mercedes now and their slimline side pods were the talk of the test in Bahrain. But will they turn out to be an instant success? Here's Michael Schmidt from Germany's Auto, Motor und Sport.
6: If you just look at the lap times and uh, look at the stories we were told during these tests, Uh, you have to have doubts but we had the same doubts last year I remember it after the test and then uh, Mercedes made a 180 degree turn and still won the championship so you always have to expect from Mercedes uh, uh, to do the, the possible and the impossible. They made their life quite quite difficult because they started with an early development st- uh, step of their car in, in Barcelona and then all of a sudden they presented us an almost new car which is just a second development step, step. But for them it was just a new beginning. I think that maybe in the first few races they might struggle a bit but uh, later on I think they have the capability of beating anyone and obviously being in the the mix for the championship. So what these slimline side pods have done,
3: um, it's given them more downforce, but with the extra grip has come more porpoising. So the bouncing was worse for this team in Bahrain than it was in Barcelona two weeks ago. And what they were having to do during the test was literally just carve away at the floor to reduce the amount of downforce they're getting to try and reduce the porpoising so when they when i don't think it's a question of if when they get on top of the porpoising and then can go back to having the full floor on the car again they're going to be brilliantly quick i think when they get on top of this car they're going to be challenging right at the front
1: when you look at the difference in terms of the way the cars looked between the first and second test you recognize just how steep this rate of development is going to be through the year And and you recognize that they can get on top of things very quickly. You know, they have the resource, manpower, mental capacity to do just that.
2: Yeah, I I think it's interesting. It looks, I mean, I'm not an engineer or an an aerodynamicist, but one of the issues they had was the flexing of the floors. So there's there's so much suck coming from under the car now. that I think they're having trouble at keeping uh, control of the floor. So that's why they put these floor stays or they petitioned to allow for for floor stays to go in and if you look at the Mercedes there's a vast area because they've got such slim side pods there's not much there to hold the floor up and it could be that they're getting more of this flex which is creating a problem to control the aerodynamics of the back of the car Um, so it could be that that once they get that fixed then they will be able to control the downfalls And, and Damon
3: the more flex you get I'm thinking back to the skirt era of you know the early 80s Uh, The more flex you get, the more you're sealing the floor and the more downforce you're getting. I thought George Russell looked very good on track. Um, I went trackside on the final evening because he was doing some low fuel runs and they had various issues, which meant he didn't get a, a clean lap in. But very precise. I mean, hey, who am I to talk about driving styles and things? But he looked very precise, very confident in the car and outside the car. He talks very well, I think he's... Well, he does. Yeah. He's
1: been ready for so long, hasn't he? He's been very patient, I have to say. Handling things so well in the pen straight after a race, you know, it's been another disappointing time for him at Williams. Yeah. And it's all been about this moment. So he'll be chomping at the bit just to get racing for Mercedes now.
2: And he's not He's not just all a cool head, is he? I mean, just, you know, there's so, there's so many shots we've seen of him where he's shown emotion. Yeah, you know, he's been really like in tears over disappointments and, and frustrations as well. You know, so he's, he's passionate, um, which, is, which is good too. Do we think he's going to challenge Lewis day in, day out?
1: Absolutely. 100%. You know, and you've got to remember, he's coming at it from uh, a, a different perspective. And I think that will bring out the best in Lewis once again, as we talked about last year. The fact that Max was challenging Lewis in new ways, And that meant he in turn raised his game. You also got to remember that Lewis is going to come back hungrier than ever because he wants to leave the sport on his own terms, not those thrust upon him in the last race of the season. I think that's the most exciting dynamic on the grid. And, you know, expect fireworks. Right. Most
3: exciting dynamic. Is it the strongest driver lineup on the grid?
2: Well, you'd have to, you've got the strongest, one of the strongest drivers of all time as your teammate. So that's one down. And the other one is one of the. Hottest properties, young talents as well. So, yeah, I'd say definitely a very strong uh, lineup. Yeah, there.
3: no, I agree. I agree. Mercedes yet again getting it right
1: in terms of driver lineup. We don't know yet whether they've got the design right, have
2: we? Yeah. One thing I'd add to that is is that Lewis seems so comfortable now. You know, I think he's not. He won't feel pressure if 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 George threatens him or is quick. I think he'd be. Able to cope with that, it wouldn't be the end of the world. He knows he's got seven world titles in the bank, and in you know, I think over a season, I think it's unlikely that George is going to topple Lewis. So I think he's comfortable. In fact, if anything, he's he's probably feeling better if he's got a fast charging uh, number two because you know anything that comes between him and uh, uh and the Red Bulls or Ferrari, whoever else it is.
1: Um, yeah i agree yeah
3: i think george will be right on the pace in qualifying from the first race i still think lewis may be over a race Mm. distance
1: he'll enjoy it he'll enjoy that extra challenge yeah
3: the whole sort of package over 58 laps reading the race knowing when to push when not to push but that's experience
1: so lewis has claimed that mercedes are behind red bull and ferrari do you believe him I mean, based on your bold predictions at the start of the pod, you certainly do.
3: Well, I, I do. I think, again, if you take you know, take what happened in Bahrain at face value, then he is correct. But it's, you know, seven days is a long time in motorsport, isn't it?
1: And, and Ferrari have made no secret of the fact that it's all been about 22. You know, having to endure those terrible races back in 20, it was all about this moment, wasn't it? And I remember Mattia Bonotto saying... Yeah, well, we'll be competitive in a couple of years and thinking, God, that feels a long time. That feels a very long way away. But here we are now and they're looking good, you know.
3: Well, Pink's the only good thing about Ferrari finishing sixth in the Constructors' Championship in 2020 was the extra wind tunnel time that they got to prepare this car. Funnily enough, Lewis said at the Barcelona test that he thinks Ferrari are two or three months ahead of every other team. And that's not a surprise because they've had that extra wind tunnel time last year. So, yes, I think he is probably right. They are behind on the evidence of everything that we've seen. Mercedes are behind Ferrari, but a week is a long time in politics and Formula One. And, you know, a lot of the Mercedes engineers have come back this week to Brackley to work on solutions back in their offices at the factory and Who knows what solutions they're going to turn up with when first practice gets underway on Friday.
1: Okay, well let's get the view of the legendary veteran F1 technical expert and illustrator, Giorgio Piola. How is he feeling about Ferrari this season?
0: Every year the expectation for Ferrari is massive. So last year they kept promising 2022 there will be a car competing in the championship, of course, not They never promised to really win many, many races, but at least to be very, very competitive and win some races. So the expectations are very, very, very big. The Ferrari seems to be quite uh, strong, robust and without anything terribly exciting. But at the end of the day, it looks to be efficient on the track. So as Enzo Ferrari said, the Formula One cars, they are not to be beautiful. They have to win. They have to be competitive. So let's wait and see. And of course, uh, this feeling that the car is handling very strong, very good uh, on the track uh, creates a big uh,
3: expectation. You know, this is Giorgio's 54th season in Formula One.
2: Unbelievable.
3: He's seen a lot. He's seen a lot, and uh, of course, he knew he, he knew Enzo Ferrari. So when he says Enzo says, you know, that it's not about beauty; it's about what they do. Uh, he's he's bang on right. That is exactly
2: what Enzo used to think.
3: He and, got it and
1: firsthand. The man himself. There's a
2: little caveat mm. to that, which is normally when you hear the phrase "it's easy to drive" from a driver, that kind of sends alarm bells to the designers, the engineers, because. Whilst you don't want to have a car that's hard to drive, it sometimes it can mean that the car's a little bit inert and there's not much, and it's not on edge. It's not like a, you've got to think of it as like a um, racehorse. You know, it needs to be a little bit edgy, a little bit, you know, frisky. And there is, there's a peak performance comes in, in kind of, if you think of it as a mountain range, you know, you can have long rolling hills, which are lovely and easy to to get over but you can have very sharp peaks the thing about the sharp peaks is if you can keep it on the peak you're going to be higher than the guy on the nice rolling hills
1: well that's exactly what happened with max verstappen last year wasn't it the peaky car that he got on top of and others couldn't you know other teammates yeah. perez being one of them i mean it certainly was a, a smooth pre-season for ferrari but charlotte clerk keen to say that he's not sure where they are in the order. He still thinks that Mercedes and Red Bull haven't shown their true pace yet. Also thinks they'll be bringing plenty of upgrades, which we know to be the case. Is he just sort of playing down those expectations that Giorgio talked about? Because you know there certainly is a lot of pressure on the prancing horse.
3: I think they're talking it down, but it's also worth remembering that they didn't bring any big upgrades to the Bahrain test. They were just honing the car that they took to Barcelona. So... Assuming they bring some bits to the race, I think we might see, uh, to the first race, we might see Ferrari take a a performance step forward uh, this coming weekend. But I do think Ferrari is trying to get away from winning the Winter World Championship. You know, they're trying not to just do low fuel runs. You know, Carlos Sainz uh, said at the end of the test that he hasn't done much low fuel running. They've been working on the race pace of the car, which you know, go back to the Enzo days, they were always keen to take the fuel out and, and see what the old girl would do because they knew that the Italian press was going to be on their back if they didn't set the world alight. So it, it's, it's quite a... Pro- I think it's promising that Ferrari are taking a slightly more, you know, uh, can you say mature view on it? And that actually it's not about what you do now uh, in terms of lap times, it's what you do next weekend. So let's do what's best for the development of the car not to keep Gazetta de la Sport at bay.
2: There's definitely... All teams have got performance in, the, in their back pocket they haven't used yet. I mean, whether it's on the engines or whether it's on the power units or whether it's on, you know, setup up or, you know, just fuel loads and stuff like that. So... And a little few more up, upgrades to go. So they'll be feverishly right now. All the teams will be going through the data they've accrued over these last three days, and they'll be going, "Oh, I found something! Um, quick, let's do <laughs> it!" will be and it's going to be pandemonium between now and the first race before the cars first go out on Friday.
3: A quick word on the driver lineup. I know we all agreed that that George and Lewis uh, is incredibly strong, but this one's not far behind. Charles Clark, Carlos Sainz. Not much between
2: them, and. uh Right up there. I think it seems to be closer, Tom, from top to bottom anyway, isn't it, uh, than it was last year, which would be another good thing. I mean, it seems to be the spread of time seems to be quite packed, compacted um, by these reg changes. which well, is... That's the that, that's the hope. Not, you know, sometimes... Well, put it this way. If you go back to when uh, Ross Braun came out with a double diffuser and Gents and first ran the car, they suddenly realised there are two seconds a lap faster than everyone. And they had to hide it. They had to kind of conceal it, but it pretty, became pretty obvious. So maybe that's a little, there's something in there that we haven't noticed. But, but frankly, you know, it, it looks like the, the, the grid is compacted more than uh, normally you'd expect after such a massive regulation change.
1: Onto McLaren now, who looked great in Barcelona, but did hit problems in Bahrain. When the car ran, it looked good, but they were limited to under 200 laps. And of course, Daniel Ricciardo testing positive for COVID. I mean, in the one sense, you'd say, well, if he's going to get it, get it now and not in the season, but you would hope that he will test negative in time for the first race because, you know, he's cutting it fine.
3: Yeah, and and the local regs in Bahrain say that you have to isolate for seven days. Get better soon, Daniel.
1: Let's hear now from F1.com's Lawrence Barreto, who has been watching McLaren very closely.
7: Bahrain has gone as badly as they could have hoped. The car's just been unreliable. They've been scratching their heads. They couldn't get parts here quick enough. They couldn't fix the problems quick enough. They haven't had many laps on the board. And on top of all of that, it's been Lando Norris who's been behind the wheel. Daniel Ricciardo's been locked up in a hotel room for the second time, I think, in three months after he had to quarantine in Australia. He's going to start the season undercooked for the second successive year. You've got Lando, who's going into the season with not as much mileage under his belt. You've got Andreas Seidel, who today, you know, his shoulders are dropped. He wasn't looking that confident about things. And I always think Andreas's body language is always quite good when it comes to that. They're probably just going into the start of the season knowing that they've probably got a good car. They just can't quite get the most out of it. So they're a bit of an unknown. I reckon P4,
1: P5, I think that's where they are at the moment. God, he's talking them down, isn't he? I don't think that's a bad thing, though. I don't think it's a bad thing at all to come in as an underdog and spring a few surprises.
3: But he's not wrong, Pinks, in that. Barcelona couldn't have gone better for the team, quite frankly. Yeah but,
1: then did you, yeah, but did you hear Lando's reaction to that? He goes, I don't want to be P1 because everyone's going to be saying we'll win the first race.
3: I'm actually not talking about pace. I'm just talking about the number of laps. They didn't have a single issue in Barcelona, yet every single run was troubled by something in, in Bahrain. Yes, predominantly it was an issue with the front brakes that they couldn't solve. It's sort of slightly got them um caught them by surprise and then they were as Lawrence said trying to fly new parts out from from the UK and there were a few delays and you know but that wasn't the sole problem with the car even when it was running um I thought it was interesting that I was watching at turn 11 on Saturday evening and Lando using way more curb. on entry using the outside curb had two wheels right to the edge of the curb no one else was even touching the curb and he was doing it consistently i don't know why he's doing that but it was consistent i actually asked him afterwards why were you doing that and he said oh i just like to do that at that corner totally totally brushed me it
2: can be yeah no but it can be sometimes drivers find a little um, way through a, a corner with a curb like that and, and, and other drivers don't notice it. There was one in Canada when we when we were racing and I, uh, there was a curb that if you went on it just a little bit the, the bottom of the tub would hit the curb and fall, make you fall off but if you went a little bit further uh, you could hook your wheel on the inside and I used to take off like about two tenths of a second every lap on that one but I wasn't telling anyone. On the basis of what we've seen you'd say that Ferrari are stronger than McLaren. This year, more so than last year, but it's testing. What do we know? What do we really know? We're always going to be uh, going to be a lot of raised eyebrows when it comes to final qualifying. You know, we'll find out then.
3: Damon, what we do know is that the Ferrari had bulletproof reliability, and the McLaren did not.
2: No, but you know that the, the, they're problem solvers. To finish first, Damon. To finish first, first you have don't to- lecture me, Tom, on how to go motor racing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, they, they're problem solvers. You know, they will find a solution. They find, I mean, uh, you know, they always find a solution. That's what they do. They're brilliant at it. They'll find a solution. Big changes at Alpine over the winter. And I don't just mean their new blue and pink colour scheme, which is very fetching. A French team have a new team principal in Otmar Zafna and a new engine boss too. So Fred Ferret from the French newspaper L'Equipe feels the pressure is on at Alpine. A lot of changes once again,
8: one year after they change everything. So we're all expecting new things. But when you change after changing, maybe you need time. Fernando Alonso said that uh, he came back from retirement because he's been told that 2022 was the chance for him to be world champion again. So we are all waiting for uh, this car to be a lethal weapon and be the next world champion maybe they are hiding till next friday but maybe they are suffering because everything is now uh, rebuilt up once again we need the f- uh, french drivers to uh, succeed we have one in a french team yeah!
5: Just won the Hungarian Grand Prix. Well done, mate.
8: Wow. Wow 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 wow. Allez Alpine, allez les yes, yes. Unfortunately, his win arrived one year after Pierre's win.
4: Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Oh my god, yes! one Pierre! one
8: Pierre's got the light because it was the first
2: time in 24 years for France that we missed a Grand Prix winner, Alpine, and the the battle between them and alfatari You know, you don't you don't want to be. No one wants to be in a battle, but for the mid bottom of the middle field uh, of the grid. You know, that, that although
1: is- Damon alfatari probably expect that, given that they are the sister team of Red Bull, they wouldn't be expect. There'd be something wrong if they were at the top fighting Mercedes, wouldn't there?
2: Indeed. So it's worse for Alpine. Alpine are a works team. They're the only team with Renault Alpine engines. You know, they have to do better than this. And it will be interesting to see what Otmar can bring to the equation.
3: They had a lot of problems in Barcelona and Fernando couldn't hide his disappointment there. He was much more upbeat in Bahrain you know the final day he did more than 100 laps whereas he'd had endless problems in Barcelona so they're definitely making steps forward he did a few light fuel runs at the end of the day and the thing was seemed to be well balanced and and do a decent job but to go back to something you said earlier I think you know the grid is going to be closer from top to bottom this year and that is where someone like Fernando Alonso will shine. All of that racing experience. I mean, do you remember Hungary last year when Lewis couldn't find a way through in a much faster car? So if Fernand, all he needs is a sniff, and you know, if that, if he can just qualify, get on even just the fringes of Q3 with the lap times being much closer, the able to follow closer this year. All of the drivers agree on that. Then his racecraft, I think, will really pay dividends. Yes, while there are undoubtedly still issues, I think it's not going to be as bad as some people are making out at Alpine. Yeah,
2: yeah, they looked okay towards the end when they, they uh, might have run low fuel, but they looked like they made a bit of progress, didn't they?
3: Yuki's had a bit of a um, bit of momentum over the winter, isn't he? He outqualified Gasly at the final race last year, and did you see um, this great quote from Yuki? In that, someone said to him, "Yuki, are you fitter?" coming into year two than you were last year. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm much fitter. I've actually had a, a a proper training program this winter. Last year, I always had Uber Eats in one hand and my PlayStation in the other. I never did any, any training. In fact, Franz Tost was probably <laughs> fitter just... than me last year. <laughs> Franz Tost is that's 68. That's not a very good thing to say. Was
2: he joking? That's not a, that's not a very good advert, is it?
3: <laughs> well, I don't just that's just typical Yuki isn't it and that's sort of got good sense of humor one of the reasons I yeah. love him he just says it as
2: it is and doesn't care about I can't, I can't believe that you cannot you can't drive for these cars unless you're really fit and he's not much there's not much of him so I can't imagine he'd be able to keep his head up if he didn't do any training but he definitely got some momentum
3: going towards the end of last year so let's let's hope he can continue that right let's move down the pit lane now to Aston Martin Um, they had a relatively trouble free test in Bahrain but it's still quite difficult to work out where they sit in the pecking order here's what Michael Schmidt our friend from Automotor and Sport thinks he's seen from Aston so far
6: at the moment average just like last year uh, we didn't see anything outstanding yet Uh, the good thing is that their concept can't be that wrong because Ferrari is in the moment the fastest car with a similar concept wide long side pots on the other hand you you don't see you know uh, flashes of brilliance yet in in the est martin Uh, i think in barcelona it was masked a little bit by their problems with the bouncing they had to run uh, quite high in the rear and quite hard which is the the worst combination Um, but according to them they have pretty much solved it here and um But we haven't seen yet a sign which tells us, yes, Vettel could drive for wins again. Last year he was driving for 6th, 7th, 8th places uh, normally. And it's obviously for somebody who has won so much, difficult to to show all his qualities uh, under such circumstances when he knows the best I can do is maybe P6 or something like that. So I I still believe that there is fire in him, but it has to be ignited by a good car.
3: Yeah, I don't think the fire burns quite as bright for Sebastian now as it did back in his heyday. But he undoubtedly brings something to that team, didn't he?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with that, except, you know, that except that time when he was leading the, the German Grand Prix and it was wet. And it, was that when he was at Ferrari, you know, and he, and he dropped it. You know, you kind of go, He's even when he's had a chance at the front, there's still not the bulletproof kind of driver there. And um, so, yeah, I'm a bit, I'm, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be negative about Seb. I mean, it seems like he's a really good guy, but it's it's the fire's gone out somewhere, isn't it? After he left um, Red Bull. And he got beaten by Daniel Ricciardo in his last season at Red Bull as well.
1: Yeah, I'd have to say I agree. I mean, I think he is doing great things in and outside of the sport and, and speaking up in a way that he didn't in the earlier stages of of his career But, Tom, you know, your earlier point about it's difficult to work out where they are in the pecking order, that's kind of how I felt about them all season. You know, you thought, are they going to do anything? And, you know, these huge promises from Lawrence Stroll take them back to greatness and such a significant, uh, iconic mark in the sport. But there's just something lacking at the moment. And um, I really hope hope that that changes this year because, you know, They were on the back foot coming into last season and they never really recovered from those uh, those regulation changes that hampered both them and Mercedes. Could Aston Martin's goal then this season be to stay ahead of Williams and Alpha Romeo? Both those teams have new driver lineups: Valtteri Bottas and Joe Guanyu at Alpha, whilst Alex Albon joins Nicholas Latifi to drive the radical-looking Williams this year. So, how will they get on? Here's the view of Christian Menat from Germany's Motorsportmagazine.com.
5: Alpha has um, quite an asset worth Valtteri. He's he's a proven driver. He's he's shown what he can do next to Lewis in qualifying. It was really amazing. With Joe, I don't know yet. He looks like he's um, willing to do a lot, to work a lot in Formula 1 and that's always very important, more important than probably in the junior categories. And on the Williams side with Nicolas, I think He's a bit underestimated. We saw that at the end of last year, what he was able to do against George. Alex, he's got a second chance. Um, probably he can prove that Red Bull was wrong. Every time I'm standing next to the Williams, I see these pods. They look a bit like stairs. Um, and I always want to, to walk up these steps. Um, that's really, really cool from, from the from the look itself. The Williams is my favorite car, but from the technical side, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. Um, The Alpha is pretty interesting with the front wing design, producing probably a lot of downforce from the front wing, which could be a pretty good thing in this season because a lot of drivers are complaining about understeer uh, with this generation of cars. And if you're producing a bit more downforce with the front wing, probably sacrificing a bit of downforce from the floor, this could be helpful um, in overall performance.
3: Well, let's hope that the Alpha is is reliable because it was certainly quick, but Valtteri Anjo couldn't couldn't do more than a handful of laps it seemed during testing because it kept breaking down. But what we saw of it when it was running is that it's a really quick car. I think we're going to see Alfa Romeo when they get that reliable make a big step forward this year. There we go. Perhaps another bold prediction from me.
2: Yeah. And 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 Valtteri in another set of overalls you know it's going to be very interesting how he slots in there and we've lost Kimmy, of course Kimi's moved on but we've just got another they've got another Finn back in there um, so up against Joe Guanyu I think he should dominate that team and, and, and we'll see how he grows and whether he can lead them somewhere
1: That is a really good point Damon because he's been so used to being that awful term that he hates wingman to Lewis Hamilton now to put him into the role as leader it'll be fascinating to take on that role and 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 lead the team in a way that he hasn't before I mean maybe at Williams earlier in his career we, we might just see the best Valtteri yet
2: and, and of course he's crossed the divide as well because he's crossed over from the Mercedes world which he was at, as also also when he was at Williams into the Ferrari world of uh, Alfa Romeo and uh He's crossed the Alps, basically, isn't he? Switzerland, he's, he's nearly, literally, he's, he's on that side of things now. It's definitely an opportunity for Valtteri to
3: build something, isn't it? He's on a three-year deal. And I, I definitely noticed at both tests how he, he wants his voice heard across everything that's happening, not just the car. Classic case being I happen to be in their hospitality area um, in Bahrain and he Ooh, came can in can you go and back
1: had... into hospitality units?
3: Oh, you can, yeah.
1: Oh, Tom! Yeah, yeah. this yeah. makes yeah. a world of difference. Choice yeah. of choice well, of lunches. Oh, and, and, <laughs> and a cup of tea,
3: coffee, and well, not a problem for you. It, not a problem for you, but my coffee intake just goes ramps up massively because you just, oh, okay, I'll have another one. You know. Anyway, the point is, I was in there, and Valtteri came in, and they had lots of guests. Teams had untold amounts of guests it's quite extraordinary goodness knows what it's going to be like at the race but anyway there were some tests in there and Valtteri just went over and introduced himself to them which I've never seen a racing driver do ever quite frankly but he wants you know as I say it's just built it's team building and they were clearly I think they were new to the team and he just wants to he just wants everyone to to build together and and he was positive about the car he's talked to Jeanne Monchot who is their technical director and and his feedback, he said, was uh, really solid and, and very consistent and everything that you'd expect of a guy who's done 178
2: Grand Prix. But yeah, I'm excited for Valtteri. Definitely. Right. So, yeah, Williams have gone for this. We talked about it before, didn't we? This is kind of no pod uh, route again, as like Mercedes. Or, or as Christian says, steps. Or steps is what he used. He used this phrase, uh, it goes up like some sort of pyramid. Someone has also used a comparison between the way that and the Mercedes looks and those new stealth destroyer ships. It's um, It looks like kind of pyra- it's got a pyra- pyramidical, can you say that, Tom? Pyramidical kind of um, look to it as you look at it from the front. Will it work is the question, because at the moment it doesn't look very promising and... With those, with something as radical as that, it's either they're held back with some technical restraint uh, of some sort, which they, once they conquer that, then they will leap to the front, or it's never going to work, and that's my worry. It's just ooh, ah, oh, the test wasn't great, was it?
3: Well, that fire at the on day two, they had a rear brake fire uh, that did a lot of damage, and you know, not only meant they couldn't run again that day, but everything was delayed the next day. Yeah. A few, a few little niggles that they need to sort out. But again, people tell me that the, the car actually isn't too bad. And, and Alex Albon has, Alex Albon will never be more vo- motivated than he is now. You know, that second,
2: second chance. Look what happened to George Russell. You know, it could be the launch pad he needs.
1: Okay, well, last but by no means least, in our 2022 preview, what about Haas? I mean, they couldn't really have had a more turbulent pre season. Nikita Mazepin is out, Kevin Magnussen returns. Michael Schmidt from Automotor und Sport thinks it's a big season for Haas and a crucial year for Mick Schumacher in particular.
6: There were flashes during testing that they have a much better car than they used to have. So I think they can be part of, let's say, maybe the lower midfield which would be a step for Mick Schumacher as well, because then all of a sudden he might fight for points in the odd race. And then there he has to show uh, whether he can stand the pressure. On the other hand, I think the best what could happen to him was Kevin Magnussen, because uh, beating Mazepin was, you know, was something people said that is standard. Uh, he should have done this. And uh, Magnussen is a is a driver. We know if the car is good, he can score regularly points. So if he beats him, it's good for him. If he loses against him, then he might be in trouble. I agree with,
3: with Michael there. I think it's a, a really good step forward for Mick uh, to have a, a benchmark that we all know and recognise, which he didn't have in Nikita, Nikita Mazepin. But he has to beat him. Has. He has, has to beat, to beat him. Has <laughs> to beat him. Very good. Gianni. But he really does. If he doesn't, then I, where, where does his career go from that?
1: Do you think he will? I mean, Magnuson's pretty tidy.
2: Yeah, he's been out a bit though, isn't he? You know, sitting on the sidelines is never a good thing. It takes a while to get back on, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that's one of the things to watch, look forward to, isn't it? One of those little intra-team battles driver-wise. But I mean, I think uh, Michael's right. It, it seems to be that they may have got themselves a car to get themselves off the back of the grid, which would be uh, huge for them.
1: Well, in which case then, who is going to be at the back of the grid?
2: I don't think it's going to be one team. I think we're going to see
3: the usual top three, Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari. I think it'll be mixing it for the wins. And then after that, I think it's going to fluctuate from race to race. And I think it's going to be really close. So, I, And I don't think Haas will be on the back row of the grid at the Bahrain Grand Prix. There I think you
2: it'd be a big success marker, indicator of the regulation changes if... We do see exactly what you just said, Tom, which is that, you know, you don't see a regular back row car or team. That part of the field is going to be intensely fought over and going to be, you know, fractions of a second are going to divide the difference of, you know, four or five places on the grid. So that would be really good to watch out for.
3: And just the smallest of errors is going to cost you this year. You know, the teams have got to get everything right. Just your run plan during qualifying, if you get that wrong or if you, you know, the tyres aren't in the right window to start the lap. that is what will define where you are on the grid as much as the actual underlying pace of the car. I think it's going to be that close. So, fingers crossed anyway.
1: Okay. now you've sent your questions. It is time to put them to the champ in Ask Damon. Questions, please?
7: Damon Hill, do you think it's time maybe you should change your approach to racing?
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know even how to start answering that question. But anyway...
7: questions please. Damon, were you happy with the start?
6: Damon Hill, congratulations for this winning, Damon. You must be satisfied. Any questions?
7: Yeah. Well, Damon, it must have been absolutely gutting that last couple of laps.
4: Damon, it looked like you had it really under control.
3: Some more questions please. Damon
4: Hill has done a fantastic job.
3: Yes, this is where you can put your question to the man who finished 16th in his Grand Prix debut at the 1992 British Grand Prix and who also won the 1996 Formula One World Championship. Let's have our first question.
8: Assalamu alaikum, this is Farah from Bahrain. I'm really excited for the F1 season and I can't wait to see what these new cars bring us. Uh, my question for Damon, hope I'm saying that right. Based off what we've seen of the cars so far, just based off the visuals,
2: which car would you want to drive? Thank you. Hi, Faris. Oh, I see you picked up on Tom's uh, little bit that we did about how to pronounce my name. Yes, you said it right. Uh, I can't remember how you said it, but it was was perfect for me anyway, Faris. So the visuals, I think, are fantastic this year. We've seen some really spectacular looking cars and they're, they're not only the podcast, the podcast <laughs> side pods. <laughs> not only the side pods. <laughs> oh god! Um, so not only are the side pods, all different, but the designs are great. But I like, I do like the pink Alpine. Um, stands out beautifully in the in the McLaren's great uh, looking car as well. The graphics on that I like.
3: I go Alfa Romeo. I love the retro Alfa logo on the engine cover. I like the wheel. Have you seen the wheel covers? No, oh, I on the Alfa Romeo. No. Yeah, they're great. They're red and red and white, very cool. Pinks, which is the best looker for
1: you? I have to say the McLaren just pops. It just and that and that new blue on it, the papaya and blue just looks wicked. I love it. I don't know if it'd be quick, but it looks great.
2: Well, it's it's looking good. Is is important? Uh, this is Formula One. I mean, the Red Bull looks good as well. But to be
1: honest, I haven't seen one that I don't think looks great.
2: No, Mercedes gone back to silver. I quite like the blue of the the Williams not that exciting perhaps maybe it needs a flash of white somewhere or you know, a few other colors in there but definitely most beautiful car, McLaren I think is the one I'd like to drive from the from a looks point of view
1: okay next question
2: hello uh, my name is Steph from Canada and my question for you Damon is is it easy or
0: challenging to memorize all the circuits. It would seem like an absolute daunting task to me to memorize all the corners of all the circuits. But, And then a follow-up question would be, which circuit was the hardest to memorize?
2: Steph, um, thanks for that question. Very interesting question. And it's made me think already about this because it's a curious fact that when you go to different circuits in some way they all become one circuit so you could think of it another way which is that there are no different circuits they're all just one circuit and what you do as a driver is you adapt to all the changes in road surface camber bumps and shapes of corners continually to all the time wherever you are but you're right there are there are differences subtle differences and you become intensely intimate with those circuits when you get there from the moment you arrive you are soaking up these subtle differences and how you remember them i think is unconscious so i don't think it's like remembering i mean if you said to me learn a list of names or learn i would never be able to do it but my unconscious is adapted for reading the road literally reading the road Although you you can you can actually go through laps in your mind, which is very very difficult to do. But so I used to do that, and I would lie down before qualifying, and I try and do some laps in my head. But to actually get your brain to recall laps and corners, it's a, it, it's your brain is very very easily distracted. That's why it's much easier when you're actually doing it because you can't afford to get distracted.
3: Would you make notes so that you could sort of refresh your memory on the plane to a particular track? I don't know changes in the asphalt. Breaking
2: points, curves. No, you'd, you you'd probably make notes more about the technical things. So the car itself. So if you, there were things that you remember from last time you were there with this. So the setup of the car would suit, certain setups would suit certain types of track better. It's like osmosis. You're kind of soaking it up when you get there and the conditions always change. Grip levels always change through the race weekend. They're never the same um, from lap to lap.
3: I think Steph asked what the most difficult one to learn was didn't
2: he? Yeah, I think I think Suzuka was the first the, the circuit I went to f- where I, f- I first saw it. oh my because it, it's long it, you know it's a good point you know it's hard there's more of it so you get less laps if you imagine there's a corner with a circuit with only three corners you're going to do more repeats of that than if you were to do a circuit like the Nurburgring with with a massive number of corners to get it to just remember that circuit and which corner you're coming up to. You're going to get less chances at each corner. So yes, the longer the lap, so like Suzuka, it's got a lot of corners, long lap. It's harder to learn because you're going to, you're going to take longer to get back to it again, to try it again, to get it right.
1: And I think we've got time for one more question, please.
0: Hi, Damon, this is Bob Feiner in Austin, Texas. I don't know if you remember me, but you were at my house for a small fundraiser for Down Syndrome in 2015, just before the Austin Grand Prix. Uh, I hope Oliver and the rest of your family are doing well. And at that event, I asked you who on the grid at that time who has not won a world championship will be the next world championship winner. And you immediately said Max Verstappen, who I think was 17 at the time. So now I'll ask you that question again. Who on the grid today who has not been a world championship winner will be the next world championship winner? Thank you.
2: I didn't think it'd take a genius to spot Max you know he was he was right on the game right from the word go so but anyway it's, I'm glad he's finally done it and proved me right so uh, Bob uh, lovely to hear from you again and I uh, hope that everything's all going there well there for your work with Down Syndrome as well and it was great to meet up as fill in just a little bit with uh, people that listeners on our podcast who don't know my son's got down my eldest son has Down Syndrome so we've done quite a lot of work with fundraising around that um, and discussing different ways of approaching uh, how to 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 best provide for people with down syndrome so that was that was part of what i was doing there in austin and yeah the next question is who is the next guy who is going to or girl you know but at the moment we've only we haven't got any candidates on the girl front so it's going to be one of these people we have on the grid and i, I the name that comes into my head and i always think we talked about the unconscious before The name that comes into my head is Charles Leclerc.
3: Is that as clear-cut in your mind as as Max was back in 2015? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm actually going to say George Russell. I think he's a world champion. That's a good one.
2: Thanks for those uh, questions. They're brilliant questions. But if you'd like to get your question answered, record it using the Voice Recorder app on your phone or your computer and send it to my new email address, askdamon at f1.com.
1: Right, chaps, before we go, and by the way, I can't wait to see you both in Bahrain. I'm flying out tomorrow. I want to find out who you think is going to take the win. And in fact, let's have the whole podium in Bahrain.
2: The whole podium from top to bottom. Are we going top to bottom or bottom to top? Well, you're right. We do it in the traditional in reverse order. Now, nice. announcing the results of the Bahrain Grand Prix 2022 podium in reverse order. Tom Clarkson. In third place, Lewis Hamilton. In second
3: place, Max Verstappen. And winning his first ever Grand Prix in Formula One, Carlos Sainz is the winner. I'm writing it down. That (laughs) is my podium. What about you guys?
1: I'm going to say in third place, George Russell. In second place, Max Verstappen. And in first place, Charles Leclerc.
2: Okay, my go. So I'm saying it's Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen.
1: Oh, I quite like the sound of that one, We haven't
2: mentioned Sergio. (laughs) He hasn't got in there. Uh, But anyway, it's too late now. I've done it. Well, that's what we think. And we haven't got long to wait until the
3: first podium of the year is going to be there for real in Bahrain. And thank you to everyone who contributed to the show, to Jack, to Michael, to Giorgio, to Fred, to Lawrence, to Christian. And thanks to you for listening.
1: Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. What a lovely way to start the day, to have a good old natter about F1. And we are back in race week. I can't believe we're saying that after a long winter. We will be back on Tuesday, the 22nd of March, with the last word on the Bahrain Grand Prix.
3: F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.